This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. I was on the special report panel last night, and we talked, of course, about Biden and the classified documents. And I made the observation that Joe Biden is now a hostage in his own White House because he can't talk to reporters because he doesn't want to address the documents fiasco. I mentioned this the other day when there was, uh, you know, what's called the pool spray, sitting there with the Dutch prime minister and reporters are shouting questions and he just doesn't have anything to say. Six straight days as of yesterday. Of course, the president probably rather be tooling around Delaware in his Corvette. Um, But I think it's precisely the wrong strategy. And I can't believe they're letting it drag on this long. Um, Biden has every right to defend himself, to apologize, to express some regrets. He's just letting this vacuum overtake him. And now it looks like they have something to hide. It's a bit of a cover-up. I'm going to come back to that later in the uh, podcast. But the reason I mentioned special report is I'm not a guy who easily gets jealous. Uh, I've had a good career. I've gotten to meet a lot of famous people in politics and sports and entertainment. Uh, So I don't, I'm not one of those people. But when Brett Baer told me that he was playing golf with Steph Curry, I'm a huge admirer of Steph Curry of the Golden State Warriors, um, I got a little bit jealous. Uh, it was just some, you know, friendly chit-chat. And apparently, you know, Brett plays a lot of golf and he plays in a lot of these celebrity tournaments and it's good and raises money for good causes. And he gets to meet, you know, not only famous or or... I was going to say famous pro golfers or those who used to be famous pro golfers and are still famous but are no longer sort of on the uh, the main tour. In any event, enough about that. Uh, so we just had the uh, inauguration of Maryland's new governor, Wes Moore. And people who listen to this podcast regularly might recall my saying that I've met, met Wes Moore several times, including after he was elected, uh, that I've always liked him. He's the first black governor in Maryland history and only the third elected black governor in the U.S. He's a military veteran. I mean, he's just sort of oozes charisma, and I think he's going to play a national role. Well, guess who introduced him at his uh, inauguration yesterday? Oprah. Oprah Winfrey. A pretty good person to have on your side. And she came and gave a little speech, and she said, you know, why is she doing this? First of all, very few people remember that Oprah kind of got her start as a newscaster, which is what she was, at WJZ in Baltimore. She said she was 22 when I moved to Maryland. I had no idea really who I was or what an Oprah was. Maryland is where I figured it out. She says every time she talks to Westmore, I walk away from our conversations with a new perspective, new ideas, a new way of seeing things. Uh, so, you know, she's in his corner. I am fascinated by this story. The resignation of New Zealand's Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern. Because nobody 
in American politics does this or talks like this. So she held a news conference. She's 42 years old. She was fighting back tears. And she said she's going to resign in a couple of weeks before the regularly scheduled October elections. And I'm thinking, okay, so if she doesn't want to run for another term, she could have said that and just served out the next, what, 10 months, roughly. And then a new prime minister is elected and then she could go back to private life. Well, here's what she said. I know what this job takes. And I know I no longer have enough in the tank to do it justice. It is that simple. She's been the PM for five and a half years. She's dealt with challenges ranging from COVID to the deadliest mass shooting in New Zealand history. She says, I'm not leaving because it's hard. I'm leaving because with such a privilege comes responsibility. The responsibility to know when you are the right person to lead and also when you are not. She says, oh, people are going to try to find out the real reason. But I am human. Politicians are human. We give all that we can for as long as we can, and then it's time. And for me, it's time. It's so candid and so real and so human. And I just can't imagine hearing similar words. You know, there's just this in, in, in the U.S., most politicians have, you know, this all-consuming drive to win elections and hold power and not just to give it up once they've achieved that. I mean, she's walking away from the top job in the country, but there we go. So I think we can agree that Mike Pompeo knows how to throw a punch. He's got a book out, and in that book, he takes uh, a few whacks, according to an, uh, either an excerpt or an early copy obtained by The Guardian, at Nikki Haley, who coincidentally is going to be on with Brett Baer, I believe, tonight. In any event, so in the book, Pompeo describes a meeting that Nikki Haley got with President Trump, and Jared and Ivanka were also there. And he, and according to John Kelly, I don't know how much of this is you know, directly attributable, uh, this was to present the Nikki Haley for vice president option, meeting dump Mike Pence, Haley for the second term. There's a lot of chatter about that. Obviously, it didn't happen. He goes on to say that, you know, the job that she had uh, as U.N. ambassador, uh, less important than people think it is. She described her role as going toe-to-toe with tyrants. If so, then why would she quit such an important job at such an important time? She flat out threw in the towel. She abandoned Trump as she had abandoned the great people of South Carolina by resigning. Well, she resigned her job as governor about the most common thing in politics, to take a a cabinet position. All right. Um, Donald Trump, and I keep talking about things he says that ordinarily would get a whole lot of attention, but maybe for other reasons and what's going on are not. Uh, That may change if he comes back to Twitter. I have a column today today about how he looks like he's getting ready to come back to Twitter. Um, Possibly Facebook, if Facebook lifts the ban. And also how the Republican National Committee is looking to the mainstream media networks, including CNN, uh, for debates, primary debates beginning this summer. Presumably there'll be a few candidates out there. You know, because there's all this like, we're Republicans, they're so biased, we're not going to deal with them. Yeah, well, you are if you want to reach a mass audience. And, you know, even if you think the moderators are biased, then stand up to them. There's one candidate in the field who has a lot of practice at that. In any event, in one of his posts 
on Truth Social. Um, Donald Trump refers to the FBI, and this has to do with the raid of Mar-a-Lago, as the Gestapo. Now, I don't know about you, but this is the Federal Bureau of Investigation. This is a court-approved search, and he's referring to its members, to the organization as a whole, as, you know, Nazi stormtroopers. Uh, so Maggie Haberman was on CNN. She said, um, look, that's certainly not normal, but it's normal for him. And he goes on to talk about the Trump-hating Marxists. Try that again. He goes on to talk about the Trump-hating Marxist thugs who could even plant documents. So on the one hand, you're a Nazi. On the other hand, you're a Marxist. I, I don't know. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Story number one. The Washington Post has a big TikTok on the Biden documents debacle. And it has some new information. And it just still leaves me shaking my head. Starts out with the original search by a Biden lawyer named Pat Moore. A couple of closets in that Penn Biden Center. Um, one closet didn't have much. Another closet had uh, documents related to Bo Biden's funeral, drafts of political speeches, boxes of books. Then he found this folder with a cover sheet saying secret government documents. So he immediately called another lawyer, called the White House Counsel's office, which contacted the National Archives. Okay, that's what they should have done, at least initially. Republicans and other critics say the White House was at a minimum slow to seek the truth and level with the public. Biden aides say they were simply proceeding cautiously. That caution has turned into a huge political liability. So here we go. Um, Back in mid-November, remember these documents, the initial batch at least, discovered early November, right before the midterms. Um, a top DOJ official wrote a letter to Bob Bauer, who is Biden's personal lawyer, asking for his cooperation in the department's investigation. Uh, specifically asked that Biden's legal team refrain, f- uh, excuse me, specifically asked that Biden's legal team secure the materials from the Biden Penn Center and refrain from further reviewing them or other documents. I mean, some of these people didn't even have security clearances. The DOJ official also requested that Bauer give justice formal consent to review the materials. What they didn't do, as the Wall Street Journal reported, is send an FBI team down there, not to raid the place, but to supervise. So that letter, according to the Washington Post account, paves the way for Biden team doing this. They adopted a strategy of caution and deference, making only limited moves in coordination with federal investigators to determine how the number determine the number of documents involved, their significance, and how they were mishandled. They hoped they would earn the trust of investigators, avoid comparisons with Trump, um, and hopefully get the whole thing wrapped up quickly. Well, good luck with that. November tenth, the day after Biden held a uh, very positive news conference after the Democrats held the Senate. Um, DOJ told Biden's lawyers it was launching its own investigation. Okay, fine. That's exactly what DOJ should do. At that point, 
Biden's attorney stopped seeking information from his staffers to avoid the impression of tampering with witnesses. Okay, I have no problem with that. But this whole approach, deferring almost completely to federal investigators, as the story puts it, is exactly what has fueled the notion that the Biden team has purposely kept the public in the dark. Some of the White House are furious at Merrick Garland. What was he supposed to do? He's the attorney general. He named a special counsel. He didn't really have any choice. Um, Biden's top aides were determined. The legal process would override any political uh, moves or public messaging. Okay, well, that's what lawyers do. They say, don't talk, don't talk, don't talk, don't talk. Let's let it play out. But you can't do that when the client is the president of the United States. And by the way, there is nothing, not a zilch, there is nothing from stopping Biden today other than he's going to California to expect the uh, storm damage from the horrible uh, uh, rainfall out there to go in the briefing room, all the cameras on him, and say, we've, we've cooperated fully. Uh, I think we could have done a better job of getting our message out. Here's what I know. Here's what I don't know. This surprised me. I don't know the contents of the documents. I do regret having been sloppy. He could say any of those things. But instead, they were like a bunch of, you know, goody two-shoes with legal degrees. Oh, well, we can't possibly. Oh, jeez. One top official said this is a rule of law administration. We don't comment on ongoing investigations. So we were always walking a fine line here in that we were in one. I'm sorry, it doesn't cut it. It doesn't cut it. You don't have to attack DOJ or piss off DOJ. And even if you do, so what? You probably have the facts on your side. I don't think this is going to lead to criminal charges, but it has led to an absolute political mess. So then CBS becomes the first... Here's where they really screwed up. CBS becomes the first news outlet to discover the documents at this Penn Biden Center. Uh, which I discovered the office is like about three blocks from where I work. So it's all very incestuous here in Washington, all very small townish. Um, White House officials confirmed the scoop, but since the investigation was ongoing, they decided not to offer any additional details, including the critical information that a second batch of documents had been discovered at Biden's home. And then when that came out, it looked like they didn't have a handle on it, etc. That was a huge mistake because if CBS has got a piece of the story, you put out what you know. You don't say, yeah, that's true, and say nothing about Wilmington, which then comes out anyway, and you look vaguely cover-up-ish. Um, several Biden aides now regret that initial strategy recognizing it has made them appear less than transparent, said one former White House official. So what did they do? Um, on Tuesday, you know how Corrine Jean-Pierre is always like, I would refer you to the White House Counsel's Office, I would refer you to DOJ. It's gotten to be kind of a running joke. And she snapped at one reporter who said, uh, it may have been Fox's Jackie Heinrich, you know, it's not for you to determine, you know, what I feel I can say and not say from this podium. Um so they did a media call with a guy who works for the White House Counsel's Office, Ian Sams. Question became, came up, why did you wait until CBS broke the story to go public? He said, we want to make sure that you all and the public 
are served with complete information to the best of our ability as part of this ongoing inquiry. And, excuse me, but that's a crock. Uh, they sat on the story because the story is politically embarrassing. And they didn't want it out. And they certainly didn't want it out early. It, it's just, it's the triumph of the lawyers. It's the best and the brightest mentality. We know better. We'll just play the inside game. We'll shut our mouths. We won't put out what we know. Oh, we'll confirm it if someone else gets it. What do you think that looks like? It's a useful story in that, obviously, the Post reporters talked to people in Biden world and got their take, and they're obviously mixed views of this, and now we know. I mean, there was no nefarious motive as far as this is concerned. We shall see whether other things come out. They were just trying to do it by the book and forgetting that a president is judged every day by his actions. You know, what you don't want to do is rush out, okay, we've completed the search and there's no more, and then it turns out there's more, but that happened anyway. So just a complete and total screw-up. All right, story two. It's amazing to me what a big story the media are making out of the some of the very conservative Republican House members being put on the oversight committee. For example, Marjorie Taylor Greene. So New York Times puts it this way, uh, they were deeply involved in President Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election. They have come to the defense of people being prosecuted for participating in the deadly storming of the Capitol. Some have called for violence against their political enemies online, embraced conspiracy theories, or associated with white supremacists. And you can just hear like the drums. Ladies and gentlemen, your Republican Party. Several of the most extreme Republicans in Congress, or those most closely allied with Trump, have landed seats on the Oversight Committee. From that perch, they are poised to shape inquiries into the Biden administration and to serve as agents of Trump in litigating his grievances as he plots his re-election campaign. So this piece talks about Marjorie Taylor Greene, as I mentioned. Lauren Boebert, Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, among Trump's most devoted allies in Congress. Now, I don't think Kevin McCarthy put them on this committee. Maybe he did in part, because he's a Trump loyalist as well. Um, and then you get into, like, you know, what promises did he make and all of that. Now, when the Democrats took over the House after the 2018 midterms, and I'm sure if I went back and looked at some of the people on some of these committees, I would find some names who you could say were pretty extreme left-wing Democrats. But there wasn't this sense in the media of, well, now they're going to just harass and intimidate and launch these awful personal attacks on President Trump. It was like, finally, somebody to hold President Trump accountable. Here, you could just, it's almost like playing defense for the Biden administration. Here, it's, you know, there's going to be all of these terrible, you know, they're going to ask questions about Hunter Biden. Well, we'll see. If they overreach, if they do a lousy job, I think they will pay a price. Um, now, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who told me on Media Buzz that she just made the normal request for committees, um, she got her first choice, which was oversight. Remember, she'd been kicked off any committees by the Democrats. So you got a lot of tit-for-tat here uh, going on. It's really hard, I think, for the media to at least make a case for moral outrage when the stripping of people from their committees 
was initiated, at least in the last Congress, by the Democrats. Not that it never happened before in history, but in the most re- recent history here. Um, they described Congressman Perry as one of the key figures in Trump's effort to subvert the election results. So if you did not vote to certify Joe Biden, you're an election denier, and now you're on this committee. Uh, it just goes on and on and on. Oh, look who pops up in this story. Ian Sams, White House spokesman. And this tells you something about the White House spin. Republicans are handing the keys of oversight to the most extreme MAGA members of the Republican caucus who promote violent rhetoric and dangerous conspiracy theories. They have defended and downplayed a violent insurrection against our democracy. Now, here's a comparable piece in Politico. House Republicans' installation of some of the most incendiary conservatives, I think that's a fair adjective, on the Oversight Committee is sparking an unexpected feeling inside the White House. Unbridled glee! So here's the White House spin, uh, as reported by uh, Politico. The uh, panel pro- tasked with probing Biden policies and actions, as well as the president's own family, will be stocked by the, with some of the chamber's biggest firebrands and diehard Trumpists. Marjorie Taylor Greene, Paul Gosar, Lauren Boebert. Ideal figureheads for a White House eager to deride the opposition party as unhinged. Privately, the president's aides sent texts to one another with digital high fives and likened, and this is what I'm reduced to talking about now. Like, oh, hey, look at this emoji. Um, and likened their apparent luck, drawing to an inside straight. One White House ally called it a political gift. Uh, the jubilation was tempered somewhat by Democrats on the Hill who expressed apprehension about the posting. Uh, so, the White House feels like it has a big target. But I gotta ask you, you know, are there a lot of people in America who are sitting around right now saying, wow, Lauren Boebert is on the oversight committee. This has really gone too far. I mean, a lot of this is inside Beltway politics. Not, not that these aren't some of the better known firebrands, I guess that's a, a safe word, in the Republican Party. But remember, I mean, these committees have usually 10, 12 members, maybe there's more for this one. Of each party, we're talking about three. They're not being named as the chairman of the committee. We know who the chairman of the committee is. It's Jim Comer. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Anyway, let me move on to number three because it's hard to keep up with the many, many, many lies of George Santos. But more is starting to come out. Uh, first of all, the guy, the, this is such a sad story, but he was on TV, he was on CNN. The disabled veteran who knew Santos under a, a different name, is it interesting that he has multiple names, the guy who feels like he was scammed out of $3,000 that he wanted to, he had been saving for an operation for his dying dog. I mean, it doesn't get any lower than this. So he's on TV talking about, he didn't even realize until a week ago that this was George Santos because he knew him by this other name, Devolder. Also, I've, I've talked in the past about Santos claiming that his mother was working at her office in the South Tower of the World Trade Center on 9-11. And then it turned out she didn't die until many years later 
So that was ambiguous. Well, now I think it's NBC that first reported this. Somebody got a hold of the visa application to enter the U.S. in 2003. So Santos's mom, Fatima DeVolder, said she left the U.S. for Brazil, that's where they're all from, in 1999 and had not returned since. So here she is trying to come back to the U.S. in 2003. So the idea that she was sitting at her desk, you know, goes beyond being fiction. And I saw a tweet from Santos today saying, oh, the media trying to, you know, make all these false claims against me and I will not be deterred. He was talking there about a picture that's been widely circulated online that purporting to show that he did some stints or some work as a drag queen while he was in Brazil. I have no idea whether that's true or not. And I don't really care. But this stuff, I do care about. And of course, it's not so much this as it is the financial aspect, the big fund he was involved in, the one that he left and then got accused by the SEC of being a Ponzi scheme. If anything is going to impede the career, the congressional career of George Santos, which is only a relative few days old, that's where it will come. But it's just amazing as more and more people just come out of the woodwork. You know, he stole money from me. I didn't know. Uh, he dated me. He dumped me. Uh, you know, this is a guy who said he was Jewish. I mean, it's just a, a, a great movie. Let's just put it that way. I got to figure out who should play George Santos. And now some people are saying, well, you know, it's the way he looks. Uh, you know, he ran as an openly gay Republican and he has a sort of casual look with the big glasses and people, I guess, tended to believe him. I do not know. I do know this. Story number four. A poll having to do with the 2024 presidential election, which, of course, I'll give you the standard caveat, is so far down the road that all such polls are meaningless, but nevertheless, I have a podcast to fill. Okay, so Ron DeSantis, who has been, I've seen other reports that he is meeting with donors and weighing the possibility of a presidential campaign. It's not just a media drumbeat. I mean, the guy obviously is positioned to run and wants to run. Here is... Oh, I see. It's a poll conducted for the Conservative Club for Growth. So you can take that with a grain of salt or not. The poll shows that Joe Biden would beat Donald Trump 48 to 41%. Um, that doesn't sound to me like an overwhelming margin, but it's a closely divided country. But in a head-to-head matchup against DeSantis, Biden gets 42%, and the Florida governor gets 45%. So it's a statistical tie. So I don't know if this is, fits the agenda of the club for growth or it's just you know a good, interesting data point. But it does clearly suggest, you know, the people who think that Ron DeSantis brings Trumpism without the baggage, you know, if we get into the season and he proves to be a pretty capable national candidate, polls like that are going to make a lot of people in the Republican Party at least say, well, I'd rather nominate somebody who is actually going to beat Joe Biden, if indeed Joe Biden's the nominee. You know, there continues to be this chatter about how badly he's been scuffed up by the documents business. 
And as I talked about yesterday, uh, he was on such a roll and piling up political points, and now he's like Tom Brady. You know, Tom Brady's season is over. We don't know if his career is over. And Biden made this one mistake, and obviously he's got two more years as president, but will he ultimately decide to run or not? But on the other hand, you know, Politico felt moved to do a whole piece on DeSantis's likability gap. And there have been presidents, even in modern history, who've been elected or weren't particularly likable in my view. But they got and they got elected anyway because it's always who you're running against. Remember, nobody is elected in a vacuum. So uh, as much of a checkered record as you might have, as flawed as you might be as a candidate, as a politician, as a human being, if you could just make the uh, case that the other guy is worse, you can become POTUS too. Um, but all this is just you know preseason chatter. Though I do think it's interesting. You know, we, we tend to sort of reduce this to DeSantis versus Trump. But if it's DeSantis and Pompeo and Haley and Pence, uh, Asa Hutchins look, looking at it versus Trump, well, unless a lot of those people get knocked out early, you know who will win because the other folks will split the anti-Trump vote and Donald Trump will be, again, the nominee of the Republican Party. All right, let me close with this, number five. I initially didn't click on this story because I've talked a lot about artificial intelligence and and used myself these chat robots, namely Chat GPT, which can write not only write scripts or essays or college homework assignments, kids, um, but do it in your voice or attempt to do it in your voice if it knows much about you. And just how amazing it is that it, these the stuff is as good as it is, but it's not always that good. Okay, so. CNET, the technology site, I thought was doing this as a kind of a stunt, but not according to this piece uh, by Paul Fari in the Washington Post. When Internet sleuths, I love that word. It's kind of like a throwback to 1940s movies. When Internet sleuths discovered last week that CNET had quietly published dozens of feature articles generated entirely by artificial intelligence, the popular tech site acknowledged that it was true but described the move as a mere experiment. Nothing to see here. The experiment seems to have run amok. The bots have betrayed the humans. I just love that. I mean, the bots have betrayed the humans. Isn't that just like a great sci-fi flick? They've taken over. Uh, Turns out, according to the Washington Post piece, the bots are no better at journalism and perhaps a bit worse than their would-be human masters. So just on Tuesday, CNET began putting these correction notes on some of the stories for its AI-generated articles after another tech site, Futurism, called out the stories for containing some very dumb errors. In other words, it took some one group of tech nerds to catch the other group of tech nerds. So for example... An automated article about compound interest incorrectly said that a $10,000 deposit bearing 3% interest would earn $10,300 after the first year. Nope. Such a deposit will actually earn just $300. Uh, uh, I could have figured that out. Duh. Anybody edit this stuff or is it all robotic? CNET and sister publication Bankrate 
which also has published plenty of bot-written stories, have now disclosed qualms. Oh, you think so? About the accuracy of dozens of the automated articles they have published since November. So this has been going on for a while. Um, so until last week, CNET was attributing the machine-written stories as CNET money staff. If you clicked on it, you could find out that it was actually automation technology. But how many people click, you know, click on the byline? Company came clean after this was pointed out to Twitter by a marketing executive. CNET changed the bylines to CNET money, added some clarification. This article was assisted by an AI engine and further stipulated the stories were thoroughly edited and fact-checked by an editor on our editorial staff. If that's true, uh, says a professor at Berkeley, then this is primarily an editorial failure. Uh, I, I just wonder, I mean, that example, I mean, it wasn't some super complicated example about compound interest. Of course, if you have $10,000 and you're getting 3% interest, you're not going to get a huge amount of money. Or everybody would be doing it. Where was the human editor on that one? Take a little snooze? That's the problem with these bots. They don't have to sleep. They don't go on vacation. They don't go and drink coffee. <laughs> All right, so the prose itself, sir, according to this piece, serviceable, plotting, pocked by cliches. So, for example, the choice between a bank and a credit union is not one size fits all. You'll have to weigh the pros and cons with your goals to determine your fit. Here's another one. The longer you leave your investment in a savings account or money market account, the more time you have to leverage the power of compounding. Well, I feel more secure now. I don't feel like somebody, some thing, some artificial, futuristic, non-human bot is going to come and take over my job because I know how to write. I know how to think. But on the other hand, as a human being, I need to take a break. I like to get eight or nine hours sleep. And uh, it just seems to me that now that it's being road tested, this uh, technology, which obviously will only improve in two years from now, it may be silly the debate we're having now. But it just seems to me that now that it's being road tested, it's hitting a lot of potholes. And this is a great pothole story. And with that, Always appreciate your making the time uh, to talk to me or listen to me, I should say, in this podcast format. I do wish I could press a button, take a couple of calls, but this isn't talk radio. You can subscribe any place where you get your podcasts. And I'll be back here tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.